Let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to 1 John and chapter 2. And I'll read verses 3 through 11 of 1 John 2. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Amen. Well, let's look to God in prayer once again and ask for his help as we come to the preaching of his word this evening. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and ask now that you would open up our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. Grant us your Holy Spirit, that we might understand what we hear and what we read here in your word, and then work in our hearts so that we will believe it and embrace it. And then, especially as John is emphasizing in this text, that we will do it in obedience to you, our sovereign Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. For we ask these things all in his name. Amen. I pointed out in the first message on this epistle of 1 John that one of the things that John emphasizes in this epistle is Jesus Christ. He emphasizes how he is a true man, as he says at the beginning. We looked upon him, our hands handled him, but he's also the true God, the Son of God, the Word of God incarnate. But then he also has an emphasis on practical Christian living. He sounded the note about who Christ is right at the beginning of the epistle, and then not long after, he began to address that subject of the practical Christian living 
Beginning in verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He began that practical note very early. We saw it last week in chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, which was what we focused on, that by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, in our passage today, verses 7 to 11 of chapter 2, John zeroes in on his main practical concern. It's one specific commandment, what he calls here the new commandment. So let's begin by asking some questions, and those will be my first a few main headings. In fact, those will be all of my main headings. Will be four particular questions. And the first one is, what is the new commandment? And the answer is that it's the commandment to love one another or love your brother. Love your brother in Christ. John does not explicitly state that, that this is what the new commandment is. He's no doubt assuming that people knew what it was. We know what it was if we've been Christians for any length of time. I wouldn't have to tell you that. But let's notice how it's evident that this is the new commandment, to love one another. First of all, right in this immediate context, verses 9 through 11, we see how he says, "...he who is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness till now." He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness, and so on. It's all about loving your brother or not loving your brother. Well, that's the new commandment, to love your brother. Love your Christian brother. Don't hate your brother. He zeroes in. He talked in verses 3 through 5 about the importance of keeping God's commandments, all of them keeping God's Word, all that it says, but now he zeroes in on this new commandment. And then secondly, let's look over to chapter 3, 1 John 3 and verse 11. And notice the similarity of language here. He says in verse 7 of chapter 2, that I write no new commandment, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. Now 3.11, he says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's the new commandment. Let me just mention three things about this new commandment here while we're at chapter 3, verse 11. First of all, this is a commandment that is not new in an absolute sense, that we should love each other, that people should love one another, that Christians should love one another, has been around since the beginning of the world, we could say. Right after he said that in chapter 3, verse 11, that we should love one another, he goes on in verse 12 to say, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. So in other words, it was a relevant commandment that you should love people, especially those nearest and dearest to you, since the very beginning of this world. Those were the third and fourth human beings in the world, Cain and Abel. 
So that was a relevant commandment then. So it's not a new commandment in an absolute sense. There's the second great commandment we heard about this morning from Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. And as we saw in, um, uh, in the morning message, that came from the Old Testament from way, way back. It's not new in an absolute sense. Secondly, it's not new in the sense that it is exclusive. Just because we are to love our brothers in Christ does not mean we're only to love them, that we don't have to love other people. As that second great commandment said, and as you heard Pastor Carlson explain it this morning, it doesn't just apply to your friends, your relatives, or your near neighbors. It also applies to Samaritans, people that are from a different place and have different customs and different convictions, you have to love them, according to the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's, it's not new in an absolute sense. It's not exclusive, but it is intensive. Like it says in Galatians 6, verse 10, we are to do good to all people, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, we are to love all people in the world as we love ourselves. And regarding those who are brethren in Christ, the Bible tells us we are to leave and love them, if it's possible, in a greater way. So that's this new commandment. But then thirdly, let's notice it from where the phrase originated. And for right now, I'll just mention it, but we'll turn to it in a few minutes the phrase originated on the lips of Jesus himself when he was in this world back in John chapter 13 when he was with his disciples on the night before he died in the upper room. And he said in John 13, in verse 34 and 35, he said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. So that's where this phrase originated. So that's what the new commandment is, to love one another. Now, second question then is this. Why does John say that this commandment is not new? That's what he says there in verse 7 as he starts out. Brethren, or as you might have in your, your text in front of you, beloved, there's a variant reading in the original. Uh, one writer says it's probably beloved because... He's mentioning them that they need to love one another, and he's letting them know that he loves them as he writes this commandment to them. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. John says it's not new because he knows they've heard it and as I said, John was probably in his very old age at the time he wrote this epistle. He had been an apostle perhaps um, for better than half a century by the time he wrote this. And he probably knew these people well to whom he was writing. He calls them his little children. He calls them here his beloved. And so he, he knows that he himself had preached this to them. And that's his point. He's not saying it's not new because it was around since the beginning of the world, but he says you have had it from the beginning. From the beginning of the time you've been Christians. From the beginning of the time you heard the gospel preached. 
kind of like we had there in chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In other words, as long as they have heard the gospel. For, so for some people in that church where he was writing, it may have been that it's been 20 years, 30 years, or even more, that they've known that this was the new commandment. So he's saying, in a sense, it's not new. I'm not so, writing something newfangled here in my old age because my mind is failing and I can't remember what I told you before. That's not it. He says it's not new in the sense that it's been around for a long time. Maybe John is trying to distinguish what he's saying from the teaching of the false teachers that these people are being troubled by. They were the ones who are coming up with novel ideas, new doctrines, different commandments or no commandments for them to follow. He's saying what I'm telling you is not anything new. This is the real gospel. Nothing novel, nothing false. That is what those other teachers are giving you. So that's why John says it's not new. He knows they've heard it and they've heard it for a long time. But then the third question is, what makes it new? Because it is a new commandment, as John says in verse 8. He says again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John is saying in this sense, it's a new commandment. But before we unpack verse 8, let's go back to the words of Jesus in John 13 for a few minutes. John 13, verses 34 and 35. What makes this commandment new? John calls it new. But before John, Jesus called it a new commandment. And so for the, first, for the first thing, the first thing we could say that makes it new, what Jesus has done is what makes it new. Let's look at John 13, 34, and 35. Here we have the words of our Lord. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In other words, there's a sense in which we could say this commandment is new, because Jesus' death is now the model for keeping this commandment. His Love for his own people, even on that night, the way with the apostles, that he washed their feet. He was the standard for how to love one another. And especially what he did later in that 24-hour period when he went to the cross to lay down his life for the salvation of their souls, that was a model for them. In fact, look over at John 15, beginning at verse 12. John 15, starting at verse 12, going through verse 14. Notice what he says there. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. 
Jesus has shown love to his own during the time that he walked with them and ministered to them, culminating on this night, first when he washed their feet, and then especially when he laid down his life for them when he died on the cross. That is the greatest model for how we should love one another as Christians, and that is the standard that is set for us. And in that sense and in that way, this commandment is new. We have the highest conceivable obligation to one another because Jesus Christ has demonstrated for us in his own self-sacrifice how we ought to love each other. And as Jesus says here in John 13, verse 35, now love, because of his love for his own, love for one another is to be the identifying mark of a true Christian. John 13, 35, by this... All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How is God pleased in this day and age to draw attention to the gospel? And in what way is he pleased to validate the gospel? We know how he did it 2,000 years ago. He had the apostles work miracles. That drew people's attention to the gospel. That validated the gospel. When they said something and people thought, eh, I'm not sure about that, and then they did a miracle, they would think, well, maybe, maybe this man has some authority behind what he's saying. God's not drawing attention to the gospel in that way now. He's not validating the truth of the gospel in that way now. How is he doing it? In this way. That you, my people, have love for one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. And brethren, that is how we should be thinking in this year, 2020, in the 21st century, 2,000 years after the death of Jesus Christ. And we should be thinking that in the midst of all the confusion and all the division and all the frustration and all the uncertainty and the fear and the strife that characterizes the coronavirus crisis. And we should think of it this way. If we are a body of people who have so many different opinions about coronavirus and how it should be dealt with, and what we should do, and on and on and on. And people see that with all these different opinions across the board, we dwell together in unity and peace, and we genuinely love one another, that will speak volumes to them. More than if you or I could actually work miracles. Or in the midst of all the racial strife that's going on. That we have a body of God's people who love one another regardless of our color, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless regardless of where we were born or what we may have thought before God saved us. We really love one another. That's the first thing that makes this commandment new because of what Jesus has done in his own love for his people. But then secondly, what makes it new, and now we come back to 
1 John 2, verse 8. It's what God's Spirit is doing. And this is the, where John draws our attention in verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What is God's Spirit doing? Two things. First of all, He's spreading true love. That's what I think it's saying when it says, which thing is true in Him and in you. I think this, this love for one another that the new commandment is talking about is the thing. And He says it's true in Him and in you. Him is Jesus. How is it true in Him? Well, it's in His self-denying love for us that we just looked at when He laid down His life for His people. That new commandment is true in Him in that way. He showed love, we could say, raised to the highest level. But then how is it true in you? Because He says, which thing is true in Him and in you? Well, if we're Christians, here's how it's true in us. It's true in our self-denying love for one another as God's people. Love one another. That's, it's that simple. Love your brother. Love your sister in Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, as John says, it's true in you. It was true in Jesus, and it's true in you. What does true mean then? Well, the basic answer is this, in terms of the way uh, John uses that word and the way Jesus used it in John's gospel, it basically means it's from Christ. It's from God. It's from heaven. Go back for a moment with me to John 6, verses 32 and 33. John 6, verses 32 and 33. Here we have Jesus speaking. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So if it's from heaven, it's the true bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. True means, in a sense, otherworldly. True means not from this world, but from heaven above, from God. And so that's what John is saying here. So we could look at it this way. Other bread is truly bread. John's not saying the bread you eat at dinner is not really bread. This is the only thing that's real bread. No, he's not saying that's fake bread. But he's saying it doesn't measure up to this bread. This is the heavenly bread. This is the ultimate bread. It is the greatest conceivable ideal of bread. Kind of like in John 8... In verse 2, excuse me, Hebrews 8, verse 2, it talks about the true tabernacle not made with human hands. It's the true tabernacle in heaven. And so regarding Christian love, that it's the true love, that it's true in Him, His love, and in you, if you're a Christian, one of His children, then it is love from God. It is love from Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart 
and mine. So what makes it new? First of all, it's what God's Spirit is doing. He's spreading true love. Secondly, He's shedding true light. Look at the last part of verse 8. After He says, Which thing is true in Him and in you? Then He says, Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Once again, it's this idea of heaven. And we should think of these two things together. True love being spread and true light shining, they come together. Heavenly light brings spiritual knowledge and eternal life. When the Spirit enlightens us, what does He do? He teaches us new things. He opens our minds, opens our eyes, opens our understanding so we can know the truth. And He gives us life eternal, kind of like the sun. If someone could build a huge uh, reflective shield between the earth and the sun that would keep the light from the sun from coming. We couldn't see, wouldn't understand. That's the spiritual application. And also, we couldn't live. We couldn't have life on this earth. The sun imparts light, and it imparts, it imparts life. These lights right here are truly lights, but not in comparison to the light of the gospel, the light that comes in Jesus Christ. The Spirit sheds true light. The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Christ has come. Think of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That speaks about the glory of the new covenant compared to the glory of the old covenant. That was glory, Paul says, but compared to the glory, to compared to the light that is shining now, it's almost like it was darkness. This is the true light that has come in Jesus Christ and the gospel. Think of what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and following. It talks about the power with which God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And it says that's the power, Christian, that works in your life. This is the true light, we could say, that is already shining in the world. And it has an effect on the darkness. As the light shines more and more, the darkness retreats more and more. You might say, well, these are dark days. But remember this, today the gospel has been preached. The gospel still is being preached all throughout the earth. And as that gospel is preached, Christ, the Holy Spirit, are lighting up this world in a sense. And they are diminishing the darkness more and more as the gospel takes effect, takes hold, and goes forward. And brethren, remember, tie these things together. As we love one another, as God's people love one another, the light of the gospel is shining in the world. That's the idea. John 13, 35 again. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, what makes this new? It's what Jesus has done, but it's what the Spirit of God is doing, spreading true love, making disciples of Jesus Christ, changing their hearts, changing their lives, changing their behavior so that they love one another and that then is shedding more and more true light in the earth. Fourth, why is it important that we obey this commandment? Why is it important 
that we obey this commandment. Well, this brings us to verses 9 to 11. And let's, I have three points then, three answers under this. Verses 9, 10, and 11. One each. First of all, why is it important that we obey this commandment? Because if we don't, we're hypocrites. Verse 9. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Very similar to what he said back in chapter 1, starting at verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We say we have fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness. We're liars. Verse 9 of chapter 2. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. It's a test. Do you walk in the darkness? You're not a Christian, even if you say you are. Chapter 1, verse 6. Do you hate your brother? Well, even if you say you're in the light, you're in darkness until now. In other words, you've always been in the darkness. You've never been in the light. Nobody goes really into the light and then back out of the light. Once you're a real Christian, you stay that way forever. And John says you don't love your brother. You've never been a true Christian. Can't get along with people? Scratch your name off the list of whether you're a child of God or not. That's the idea. You're a hypocrite. And here's what is true about hypocrites. They're in darkness until now. They say they're in the light. They're in darkness until now. And second thing that's true about them, they say they're in the light, but they're really not. It's not just that they don't love their brother as Christians ought to. How does John state it? They hate their brother. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother, is in darkness until now. We like to say, whoa, 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 we don't want to talk that way, John. Well, maybe I don't love my brother the way I should, but don't use such strong language about me. I don't hate him. I don't hate anybody. John would say this, well, do you love him? Well, then you hate him. That's the only alternative in John's mind. That's what he says. When in his thinking, everything short of true love is hate. That's how he's using the language. So that's John's definition of what hate is, which means that's the Bible's definition, which means it's God's definition. You don't even need Merriam-Webster. You have it from God. just like what Jesus said, isn't it? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. He's saying there's no neutrality in terms of loving me. And now John is saying there's no neutrality in terms of loving your brother. So just one note, side note, which can fit in with what we heard this morning, so I'll make it. The idea of some crimes being hate crimes is a twisting of the language. And it's a twisting of truth. 
And our present time is rife with this kind of thing. As Christians, we need to rely on biblical definitions as to what is true doctrine and on biblical definitions as to what is right conduct. And there is safety for us all. But here the point is this. As much as John loves ambiguity, and I'll say something about that in a minute, I've said it before, he loves ambiguity. He loves making a statement that could be taken in this way or in this way. Which one is it? And often it's both, as I've said. He loves ambiguity. But, as much as he does, he's very black and white in his thinking. He doesn't talk about gray areas when it comes to what's right and what's wrong. He loves ambiguity as a writing style. It enables him to say more with fewer words. But he's never ambiguous about what is right and what is wrong. And he writes in such a way that he tries to make it clear in a read-my-lips fashion. You don't love your brother? Okay, you hate him. So that's the first thing. If we don't love our brother, we're hypocrites. Second, why is it important that we obey this commandment? Because if we do, we will be kept from falling. It's safe for you to love your brother. You say, but he's prickly. I might get hurt. No, it's safe for you to love your brother. Look at verse 10. He who loves his brother abides in the light. That's a safe place. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. You're not going to trip up, fall on your head and break your neck and die if you love your brother. In a spiritual sense, you're not. That's the idea here. It's a positive statement. Verse 9 is, he who says he's in the light but hates his brother, he's in darkness. Verse 10, he who loves his brother, on the other hand, abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. I was going to say something about abiding in the light and say something about John's use of the word word abiding but we're going to come across that word a lot more, so I'm just going to pass on it for now. But he says there's no cause for stumbling in him. That's why I said it's safe for you to love your brother. You say, but that's going to make my life more difficult. I have to deny myself. And that might open me up to getting hurt. That's hard for me. And I have to come out of my shell. I'm an introvert. But John says, oh, this is the way for safety in the Christian life. You don't do it, you're going to cause yourself to stumble. Like Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 14, if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. You may think all is well with you and you're walking with God, but you don't love your brother. It's not all well. At some point, there's going to be a big old ditch there and you're not going to see it coming and you're going to fall headlong into it and maybe perish in your sins for just this reason. You wouldn't love your brother in Christ. That's verse 10. And then verse 11 is the third answer to that question. Why is it important that we obey this commandment? Because it says, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. In other words, if we don't love one another, we're in spiritual darkness. Just like he said earlier, if, we're, if we don't obey his commandments, we're in darkness. Now, if we don't love our brother, we're in darkness. If you, that's a way of saying you're not a believer. 
If you are not a believer in Christ, then you are in the dark spiritually. That's you. Like if it was um, the winter, and by this time of night, it really is night. 6.30 p.m., it's dark outside. So sometimes I'll go in the back after I visit with people after a Sunday evening service, go back and get my stuff, come out, and while I, between my going back in the room and coming out here, someone has turned off all the lights. And then I have to make my way to the back. And wide as these aisles are, it's so dark, you can hit a pew. You're stumbling around. I have to walk slowly unless I have my trusty flashlight that one of the deacons gave me some years ago just for that purpose, but I have to replenish the batteries. But I can make it out if I have the flashlight. But not. It's difficult if I don't have it. I stumble around because the darkness has blinded my eyes. One way that we can know that someone is in the darkness without giving them a lengthy theological quiz or by following him around all the time to see how he lives and what he does, is by just asking, do you love your brothers, and seeing if he does or not. That's what John is saying. So let me just bring it all to a conclusion. I'll say something for believers, and then something for unbelievers in conclusion. The first thing is this, for believers. Christ's self-denying love is an example for us to imitate. As we saw earlier, the way he washed the feet of the apostles and the way that he laid down his life for them and for all of us. Jesus Christ's death is not just about an example. It's about a lot more than that. That's not even the primary thing that his death is about. But it's something that his death is about. And it is necessary for us to follow his example, especially John is saying, and he's just getting wound up here in this passage because the whole rest of the book is all about this. And the point is that we have to imitate Jesus Christ because in chapter 2, verse 6, John wrote, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So we have to love one another and we have to be ready and willing to lay ourselves out and lay down our lives for one another. And that means we don't have the attitude, I'm above that. Like I don't say, I'm the pastor. I don't have to do that kind of stuff anymore. Because that's beneath me. It's not. Or we don't say, well, he sinned against me. So if it were someone else, I would do it. But it's him, so I won't. We don't live like that and act like that or even think like that. And we don't say, well, that's all well and good to say that that's how Christians should deal with one another. But what if I get burned? You know, because I've been burned before and I don't ever want to get burned again. That doesn't sound like a Christian to me. I'm just being honest. Maybe I spent too much time with John this week. But that's the way it is, brethren. We should check ourselves. We should ask ourselves about ourselves. And we don't say, well, that's above and beyond the call of duty. Why should I have to do that? Well, how about this? Think of the way you have treated Christ and what He has done for you. 
Think about that. You shouldn't even be asking those kinds of questions. There's no such thing as above and beyond the call of duty for a Christian. If it's sinful, then it is. But that's not above anything. That's beneath us in a spiritual sense. Ask yourself, what do you find the hardest to do for your Christian brother that Jesus, you know, commands you to do? Maybe it's just to show a small act of kindness for a certain brother or sister in Christ. Or confess your sin to... I'm not going to confess my sin to that person the way he's sinned against me. It doesn't matter if he's sinned against you or not. Well, I can't forgive him because... Or I can't serve him because of all that he's done to me. Find that thing that is so hard to do for that brother or that sister and then learn to do it. And then for you, if you're not a believer here tonight, if you receive the truth of God's Word with faith, believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, trust in Him, repent of your sins, and lay hold of Him in faith, If you receive Him, you are going to be abundantly blessed by Him. Light is going to be shed abroad in your mind and your heart. And love will be shed abroad in your heart so that you could be the most unloving person imaginable, but you will be able to begin to love other people. That's the idea. That's the message of the Word of God. Receive with meekness the implanted word and it will save your souls. And it will change you. Especially it will change you in the way you relate to other people. Everything will become new. Old things will pass away, as Scripture says. If you are not a Christian, what is keeping you from the light? What is keeping you from all this blessing? What is keeping you in the dark? Is it a person that you say, I just have to have that person, and that person is an ungodly person, and so I'm sorry. I'm not going to become a Christian. Not now, at least. Or is it a thing? If I can do this, achieve this in my life, attain this, or get this much of the world's goods, then maybe I'll think about becoming a Christian. Shame on you. Is it hatred for other people? You just came out of the womb hating and you get all your satisfaction in life from hating? I mean, that's not my peculiar sin. I can understand the phenomenon because there are things that I am drawn to that everybody else isn't. And I have to fight against it every day. But are you a person that you know that if you just be happy and say nice things, your day is always a lot better, but you just won't say it when it comes down to this because you just love being bitter. How sad. But what I'm asking is, is that something you love that much? That you're willing to go to hell forever just so you can continue to be like that? God help you. Get rid of that thing, that sin, whatever it is in your life that you're grasping after besides God, besides Jesus Christ. Confess it as sin. Because if you don't, you're going to stay in the dark. And you will be in the dark 
forever and ever. You will spend forever and ever in what the Bible calls the blackness of darkness. May God open your eyes and may He shine His light into your soul and may He make you alive and may He give you a heart of love for Him and for your fellow men. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would take your word and write it upon our hearts. Forgive us for our sins of lovelessness and as we just begin this whole journey through John's epistle about loving one another, open our eyes so that we can see our sins, our selfishness, our carelessness for others and help us to love one another from the heart. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.